0: You can actually hear me now. Uh, Welcome, everyone. Uh, My name is Aaron, if I've not had a chance to meet you yet, teaching pastor here at Riverwood, and we are in part four of our series called Forward. And I want to ask you, when you pray, what do you tend to pray for? Uh, A couple of years ago, the Barna Group did a survey asking people that very thing, asking them what they pray for and how do they pray. It turns out that about 80% of Americans claim to pray at least once every three months. And of those 80% of people who pray, about 94% admit that most of their prayer is done alone. Uh, 82% do it silently. But what I wanted to know was, but what do they pray in those moments of prayer? Whether they do it silently or audibly or, or with a group. And what we discovered was number one, the number one thing people pray for is gratitude. They, they actually express thanks. By the way, I apologize, it's a little small. You're not going to be able to really see it, but trust me. That says 62% of people say that they pray for, they, they express gratitude in prayer. Right behind it at 61%, the number two thing, though, was to pray for the needs of their family, of their community, the, the people that they know, uh, so they, they pray for needs. Number three, they prayed for personal guidance. About 49% of people admitted they prayed for for insights on, on how to work through an issue, a situation, a crisis. Number four was they prayed for personal health and wellness. About 47% of people admitted that's what they prayed for. And so as I was looking at the resu- these results... Nothing really surprised me. I was a little surprised that Thanksgiving was first and tops. I was actually encouraged by that. But as I looked at the rest of it, I'm like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. And as I looked through there, there's confession of sin. You see prayer for safety, for peace, uh, a blessing before a meal. I mean, these these are kind of the things that we might start to uh, expect people to pray for. But as I looked through that list, one thing stood out to me. No one prays for boldness. And yet, if we are going to be the church that God is calling us to be, if we are going to be Jesus' followers ourselves, it's going to require boldness. But we don't pray for it at all. Now, maybe you're like me, and you're not very bold. I am a typical firstborn. I'm just a little bit cautious. My mom tells the story of when I was two years old, taking me and my nine-month-old brother to the pool. And I was scared of the water. I was afraid. I didn't want to get in. I I was timid. I was crying. As soon as my mom took my nine-month-old, set him in the water, and he started splashing around and playing around, suddenly I realized, oh, it's okay. It's cool. And now I swim for exercise. I was just timid and afraid to get in to the water. And unfortunately, this timidness has carried on throughout my entire life. When I felt God calling me to plant a new church, I said no. I, I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't think I could do it. I was just talking to a friend this past week who he says, Aaron, there isn't much in my life that I don't think I can't do. Like, he's on the other end of this. Like, he's bold. Like, if he, he saw, you know, someone bungee jumping, he's like, you know what, I could do that. I probably could do that without a bungee. Like, he just is, he just could go for it. Me, I'd be looking at it like, I think I'm gonna need three bungee cords. You know, like, I'm just a little hesitant. If you're like me, today might be just a little bit uncomfortable. Because what we're going to see is the early church not only expressed boldness, they actually dared to pray for it. And because I want us to be the church that I know God's calling us to be, and I want to see you live the life that God has for you, it means we too are going to have to live with boldly, which means we're going to have to pray for boldness. So if you brought a Bible with you today, please open it up to Acts chapter 2. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, don't worry about it. I've got the scripture up on the screen. Uh, I'm just going to really encourage you to get a Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, uh, we encourage you to stop by our Give and Grow table. We've got a couple of different translations back there. We would just love to give one of those Bibles to you. Not just to use on Sunday when you come to Riverwood, but to use any day of the week. Also at Riverwood, we are fine with the digital Bibles. So if you have a Bible already on your phone... Feel free to pull that out and use that this morning. Uh, we'd love to just help build in the habit of you opening up your Bible app on your phone and not Candy Crush. Uh, all right, so pull those out. Let's uh, read Acts two, forty-two through 47. So let me pray as we get ready to read. Heavenly Father, we are now coming to your timeless scriptures. These words have been around far, far longer than we have ever lived. And they will continue to be around after we are gone. And so, Lord, help us to not try to take and twist these timeless scriptures to fit what makes us feel good. Instead, Lord, would you twist and shape us into the image of Jesus and conform us into what you tell us through your timeless, perfect word. So, God, teach us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Who were being saved. Now, as you read through that with me, you may be thinking, okay, today's topic is boldness. And so as you read through there, you don't see anywhere it say, and they were bold. So you're starting to maybe think, okay, so we've got to infer some things out of this. Okay, so maybe verse 43, when the apostles are doing these wonders and signs, okay, maybe maybe that's the boldness. No, nah, I don't know. Oh, okay, wait. How about down in verse uh, 45 where the people are selling their possessions and belongings? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That would be pretty bold. But wait, we just talked about that last week. Like we spent a whole entire Sunday talking about generosity. So I, I don't understand where you're going with this, Aaron. I believe that what we just read lays a foundation for the early church to be bold later. We don't, I, I see some boldness here. We're going to come back to it. But what I see is it really begins to lay this groundwork for what we see them and the type of boldness they displayed and even lead them to a place of praying for boldness. So let me show you. In verse 42, it starts off by saying that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. All right. What, what was it that the apostles were teaching? They were teaching about the death and resurrection of Christ. Like these guys could not help talk about it. I mean, they had lived with Jesus for three years, They saw Jesus perform all these amazing miracles. They heard him teach like no one else. They really thought he was the Messiah. He was going to overthrow Rome. They were going to establish Israel as a new nation. That finally God had come to earth. And then he went and he died. The Jewish leaders handed him over to the Romans. Where he was cruelly crucified. And they saw him die. And their dreams were crushed. They thought it was over. Until a couple days later. Sunday morning one of the women runs in and says we saw an angel he says he's alive and they rush out to the grave and sure enough it's empty and they begin to see him and they spent 40 days with the risen Christ. They could not help but talk about this. This was the most exciting thing in the world. Last night the WSR wrestling team just won states for the second year in a row. Four of their wrestlers finished state champions. Guess what uh, WSR is going to be talking about for at least the next week? That they are the champions, right? They can't help but talk about it. It's a big moment. The disciples could not help but talk about what they had seen, what they experienced. So that's why as we get into chapter three, you shouldn't be surprised to see them talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. As you go into chapter three, what you notice is Peter and John are headed to the temple to go pray. I mean, they're they're Jews. This is what you do. So they're headed to the temple. And on their way, they pass by a beggar. This beggar is lame. He can't walk. And so he's asking people for money because he can't work a job. And so people to take care of him would give him a little bit of money. So Peter and John are walking by. So he asks them for money, just like he does everyone else. But Peter looks at the guy and says, hey, sorry, silver silver, and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk." Suddenly this guy felt strength returning into his legs. He suddenly began to move them. He stands up and he can't believe it. He's so excited that scriptures say he begins jumping and leaping and praising God. Well, suddenly people are walking back going, wait, 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 isn't isn't, isn't that the bigger? Like he's lame. He can't, what is going on? So they start asking him and he goes, these guys, they healed me. They They healed me. So a crowd begins to gather around. Well, suddenly, as there's assembled people, what do Peter and John do? They start talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. They start preaching the gospel, start drawing people to Christ, realizing that his death on the cross was for the forgiveness of sin, and people needed to put their faith and their trust in the name of Jesus. Well, as they are preaching in chapter 3, we come to chapter 4, and it begins with some priests and their temple guards approaching them and arresting them. It was actually a little bit late in the day, and so because they wanted to be legal, they throw these guys into jail because it was illegal to have a a, uh, um, court, a a, a trial at night. It makes you realize that what happened with Jesus was completely illegal. So they throw these guys into jail, and the next day they haul them out in front of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, these Jewish rabbis, they are like the ruling court of society. They look at them and said, how did you heal this man? Because this guy was like over 40 years of age. He'd been uh, uh, lame his whole entire life. Now he can walk. So they want to know, how did you do this? Once again, Peter and John have an audience. So what do you think they say? If you want, flip over to Acts chapter 4 and join me at verse 10. Acts 4, we're going to read 10 through 12. Let it be known to, this is Peter speaking, by the way. Let it be known to all of you. But notice what they say. This guy's healthy and well because we healed him in the name of Jesus. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. You know, that that guy that you condemned to death, that you handed over to the Romans. Yeah, that guy, God raised him from the dead. Well, this makes the Sanhedrin a little upset because here are a couple of unschooled fishermen telling them, yeah, you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. You can't stop him. And that's how this guy's healed. They, They don't know what to do. Because Peter and John did nothing illegal. It, they, they, you can heal people. I mean, they, you can talk to other people. And so, so the Sanhedrin, these rabbis, they're frustrated. So they have Peter and John set outside the court so that they can deliberate privately. Trying to decide, what can we do? Because if we end up beating these guys, well, then everyone's going to be, you know, against us. Because they witnessed this miracle but we can't have them going around preaching this Jesus. It makes us look bad, and they're going to ruin everything. They're going to wreck our system of religion. So they decide to have them come in and say this to them. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, the reason that these guys think that this will work it's because they are the most powerful men in their society. At this time, Judaism rules the culture. And so your Jewish leaders, your rabbis, basically whatever they say is what goes. Now, this is kind of foreign to us because we don't have a culture where there is this one dominant religion. We, we have a lot of different religions. And I don't mean Christianity and Islam and Mormonism. What I mean is we have the religion of politics. Politics. There there are people who give all of their time and attention to politics. They are constantly watching Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. They're always listening to talk radio. Like This is where they give their money. They give their time. This is everything to them. This is their religion. And their politicians end up becoming their priests. Other people, it's entertainment. It's music. It's movies. And the the celebrities, the, the rock stars. Everything goes to them. They buy all their albums. They watch all their movies, all their money, their time, their thought, their conversation goes to these things. Or you got sports. There are people who will devote tons of time to basketball, baseball, football. I mean, just pick a sport. And there are people, they they buy all the the gear. They go to the the stadium. They worship these players. they, They celebrate when everything goes their way. That is why companies so often go after these celebrities and want them to hawk their products. Because if this celebrity, this priest of this religion says, hey, buy this product, the people listen to their priests and will buy it and it makes more money for the company. It's why presidential candidates want these popular politicians to endorse them. Because if these politicians, these celebrities, these priests will endorse them, that means more votes for them. Now you start to understand a little bit of what John and Peter are facing. Because basically, these priests, these rabbis, control the religion. And they are used to being able to say to someone, do this, and they expect it to be done. In fact, verse 21 goes on to say that they threaten Peter and John. They demand their way. Peter and John end up leaving Go back to their friends, to the church. And here's where we're going to pick it up. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, stop. I want you to take a second and imagine, what if this was an American church? What, What if we found out about someone being persecuted for their faith, being threatened to shut We'd probably want to write letters to a lawyer, to a politician. We'd fight for our rights. We'd probably start praying for safety, for protection, because this is what we pray for missionaries who are in closed countries that, that are antagonistic against the gospel. And we we would start praying for their safety, for their protection. We we might pray for you know God to overchange the laws in that country. Let's see what the early church begins to pray. It up in the middle half there of verse 24. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants safety. No, that's not what it says. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants protection. No, not not that. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. To hear it, they do not stop and ask and pray for uh, safety. They asked God to give them the power and strength and boldness to persevere through the persecution. And that's why the early church continued to move forward. Because in the face of this persecution, they did not retreat. They did not pull back. They did not seek to just be protected. They basically were like, we've got to continue to move forward. So God, in the face of this, give us boldness. Now, I find myself at this point asking a couple of questions. The the first question as a non-bold person that I ask is, how in the world did they do it? Well, I think their prayer actually gives us a clue. Uh, The first thing I noticed in their prayer is that they focus on the sovereignty and strength of God. They focus on God's sovereignty and his strength. Notice the beginning of their prayer. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, God does not need reminded of what he has done. They're praying this to remind themselves, God, you have created everything. And so if God has the power and strength to create the entire known universe, he probably has the power and strength to work in the middle of this persecution. They're, in a sense, reminding themselves, God's got this. He's he's in control. And that gave them peace. Peace. But notice they didn't just focus on his strength. They also focused on his sovereignty because it goes on in verse 25. They said, through the mouth of your of, of our father, David, that's King David. They then quote from Psalm two, one and two, where they, where David talked about how these Gentiles raged, the peoples plotted against him. The Kings were set against him, the rulers, right? He's talking about the time that these people were against him, but they realized that not only was David as the king, the anointed one of God, they knew that Jesus came out of the lineage of David, and that ultimately Jesus was the ultimate anointed one, as the Messiah, as the true king. Not just the king of Israel, but the king over the entire universe. And yet, everyone was against them. But notice, down in verse 28, these people, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, the people of Israel, were against God, and he's, they say in verse 28, to do whatever your hand, God, and your plan had predestined to take place. Then in other words, a couple thousand years before Jesus ever walked on this earth, God is saying through David, yeah, the people are going to be against your anointed one. And sure enough, Jesus comes and the people are against him. And yet they realize this was God allowing this to happen. God, God predestined this plan. Because it was through the hands of Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Jewish leaders that Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. This was the plan all along. We see it whispered about all through the Old Testament and we saw it fulfilled through Christ. And so if God could so sovereignly put these things into place, then perhaps God can work in the middle of this persecution. If you ever find yourself in a really difficult spot, this is a great way to pray. Just pause. And remind yourself of God's strength and his sovereignty. And you need to look nowhere else than Jesus. And that's the second thing I notice here. They didn't just focus on the sovereignty and strength of God. They focused on Jesus. Because what else reveals the sovereignty and strength of God than Jesus himself? And and did you notice there? they, They realized that the people had come against Christ. Well, if they're going to be Jesus followers, they're going to follow in the way of Jesus. Then it's very likely that if people were opposed to Jesus himself, they're going to be opposed to his followers. So it's like they're reminding themselves, hey, our leader, our savior, our Messiah went through this. So we shouldn't be surprised that we're going to go through this too. By focusing on Jesus, it reminded them we're not experiencing anything that our savior hasn't already experienced. And this emboldened them, gave them strength and gave them the ability to say, God, give us boldness. Not only do we I think we need to ask ourselves, how were they able to be bold? I think we need to ask ourselves, so what does boldness actually look like? Right? Especially, what does boldness look like for us here in 2020? Well, the first thing is, I think boldness is not permission to do something stupid. Right? You might think it's bold to drive down a highway in the middle of the night at 100 miles an hour with your headlamps off. But that's stupid. Right? Yes, God has the power to protect you in that moment. But usually God lets us suffer the consequences of our decisions. Right? That's not boldness. When, when you see the, uh, uh, the early church selling their homes, selling land, that was bold. Because they're giving this for others. Saying, I'm going to sacrifice this to give to the, these people. But they weren't stupid in all selling off their houses and making all 5,000 of them homeless. When, when Peter and John are standing in front of the Sanhedrin, and they're basically saying, hey, it's about Jesus, that's bold. They didn't start yelling at them, trying to slander them and shame them and cause a riot. That would have been stupid. Don't confuse the two. If God's calling you to be bold it doesn't mean you're to be stupid. It also, the second thing is, boldness is not permission to be a jerk. <laughs> boldness is not permission to be a jerk. It may feel bold to walk into work or to school with a bullhorn, yelling that everyone is going to hell if they don't give their life to Christ. You may be speaking truth, but all you're doing is hardening hearts. You're being a jerk. Too often, I think us Christians, we turn into these keyboard warriors on social media, thinking that we're being bold. But really, all we're doing is hardening the hearts of those reading our words. They don't sense any sort of kindness. They don't sense any sort of God's love. They don't have any inkling of his grace. We feel bold. But all we've done is we've just shut the door and locked it, making it harder for them to now hear the gospel from us. Notice when Peter and John are standing in front of the Sanhedrin. They were not jerks. In fact, look at their words with me. This is uh, chapter 4. This is verses 19 and 20. this is after they're called back in, they're told not to speak in the name of Jesus. Verse 19 says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Those are not the words of jerks. Those are the words of guys who have found their identity in the gospel. And they basically look at these Sanhedrin, these rabbis, and say, hey, we realize that from your side of the bench, that This probably makes sense to not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. We realize this is a threat to your way, your thinking. But but we just, we saw him get handed over by you to the Romans. We saw his back get whipped apart. We saw the nails through his wrists. We saw him die. And yet he came back to life. And you're now telling us we can't talk about this? Sorry, we're not trying to be jerks. We're just going to let you know. We can't help but tell people. Because after all, the guy who overcame death told them to go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, they're going to go with their Messiah, their leader, the guy who beat death, rather than just listen to this council of really smart guys who don't know the story. So, boldness is not permission to be stupid. It's also not permission to be a jerk. Next thing is Boldness, I think, looks different for each of us. If you notice, it's Peter and John who are standing in front of the Sanhedrin. It is not someone who just put their faith in Christ last week. Now, I believe that if God had allowed someone who just put their faith in Jesus to stand before a court, he could put the words in their mouth. If you go to John chapter 9, you'll see such a story. But typically, God in his wisdom is putting someone who's ready for that next step. And so for Peter and John... They were the ones that God had prepared for that moment to stand before these rabbis and preach the gospel. For the person who just put their faith in Jesus, their bold move might be going and actually like sharing their faith with their family. So I I think your boldness might look differently based on where you're at in your spiritual journey. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, your bold move is to surrender your life to Christ. For some people, that is so incredibly difficult. To basically admit and confess, I am a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So because he gave his life for me, I'm going to humble myself and give my life to follow him. If you've already made a step like that, maybe boldness for you is actually praying aloud with someone else. Maybe boldness for you is actually sacrificing financially. Some of what we talked about last week in the, this whole building project that we have before us. Some of you... <laughs> No big deal to to, you know give sacrificially. Like you just have a spiritual gift of giving. For some of us, this is really, really difficult. That's our bold move. For for some of us, our bold move is to actually ask someone to go out on uh, uh, you know for coffee or, or lunch, just so we can get to know them and hear their story. For others of us, our bold move is actually to share our faith with someone. We've never done that before, and yet we just love this person, we care for them, and we want them to know where we stand in our faith spiritually. And invite them into the same thing. I I think our boldness depends on where each of us are at. And so I can't stand up here today and say, here's what your next bold move is. I think it's really you seeking after God and saying, God, what would you have me do? What is next? What wall do I face in my spiritual walk with you? And what bold move do I need to take to break through that and move into that next stage of becoming more and more like Jesus? But then the last thing is this is whole entire passage that we've been looking at has not been about just individuals. We've been looking at a church. So what does boldness look like for us as a church? Well, I think boldness for us is just continuing with kind of what we've already been doing. It's just moving into doing it even more. We're, We're calling this whole series forward, moving into chapter two, because by going to this building, we kind of already know that we're moving now from a church plant. That's kind of transitionary to being a little more established to having not just a building, but really a spot that we can invite people to, and we can go and do ministry out of. And so this is a big step for us. This is a bold move, but when we get there, not much is going to change because for us to continue to preach the gospel is bold. Our world, our culture, wants to basically live in a way that says, hey, however you want to live is fine. And yet the gospel says you need to give your life to Jesus. And that's offensive enough. That's why we don't need to go and be jerks. We just need to love people and share this gospel with them. But it's all of us doing this together. It's being bold of us together inviting people to come on Sundays. It's it's being bold inviting someone to come to our growth group. It's being bold and inviting someone to go and serve with us at the the monthly food pantry. It's bold to just simply not just say to someone, hey, thanks for sharing that. I'll pray for you. But to actually stop and say, can I pray with you right now? It's really us together moving into this place of boldness. But that kind of leads into the last thing. How in the world do we do that? And it kind of comes down to what we talk about every week. We look to Jesus. Because what was more bold than being God the Son sitting on your throne in heaven and leaving it all behind to come to this earth? For God to take on human flesh. And even though he was without sin, to live among us sinners. What was more bold than to go to the cross to die in the place of sinners so that our sin could be forgiven and we could come back into a relationship with our God. Jesus did the most bold thing anyone ever could. Most definitely wasn't stupid. He wasn't a jerk about it. He loved us to the end. And he did it for us. And when we keep our eyes on Christ, I think that is what gives us the guts to say, Jesus, if you could be bold for me, help me help us to be bold for you. The Heavenly Father, we just pray right now for boldness. We don't know exactly what that looks like for each of us as individuals, but you do. So would you help us, Father, to just take steps of faith, to, to, to follow you and to hear what your spirit is telling us to do through, your, through the, your whispers, through the scriptures, through song, even through the encouragement of the fellow believers. What is it you are calling us to? And God, give us the guts and willingness to do it. Make us bold. God, make us bold as a church, a church that is bold with love, with, with grace, with welcoming, with just surrounding people with your presence. Make us this type of church. God, would you help us as we are bold for you to see you change lives through the gospel. So God, begin with us. Just continue your deep work within us. Lord, I pray for any of us that are struggling in our relationships, that you would begin to heal those through the gospel. For any of us who are struggling financially, that we would trust you with this situation, this crisis. For those of us facing a health issue, that we would trust you in the middle of it. Because there are still things you want us to do. So, Father, help us to get our eyes off of just our own lives, our own problems, and help us to look to Christ, to look to the world around us, and boldly love and live like Christ among them. So, God, would you do this deep work in us for your glory, for our joy. Please, make us bold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.